You're listening to the AID Network. Hey, friends, I would like to encourage you to go over to the YouTube. I made my first Disneyland story, which is a 10-minute documentary. Jared, did you check it out? I did. Amazing. It's a 10-minute documentary where I show you the future of Disney animatronics. And in a fun way, you got to show the past, the history of Disneyland first, right? I mean, the history is what we all love. But then when I show you the future of the animatronics, I looked around the world of robotics and using my love for Disneyland, I said, if this is the technology that exists from amazing companies like Garner Holt Productions and Boston Dynamics, what could Imagineers do if they use this technology? So it's a fun look at where animatronics came from at the World's Fair in 1964, where they're at currently, some of the fun characters that exist all around planet Earth. But then my own Disneyland for designer citizens of Disneyland look into the future of imagine this technology combined with Disney imagination. Some of those robotics that I showed in that yeah. video, like the, the last chapter of where the future of robotics is going. Mm-hmm. Imagine some of that in the galaxy's edge. A little creepy, some of that, right? Some of it is just beyond what I think we're comfortable with. Yes. You know, when I was making the documentary and I was doing all my research, I stumbled on the uncanny valley, Mm -hmm. which is a weird thing where as humans, we have like an instinctive thing inside of us that when something feels too human, it makes us feel weird. Right. It's like a weird internal protective mechanism that we have for survival where it goes from pleasant to yeah yeah um, and learning about all of that and and combining that it was it was such a fun disneyland story to tell and i'm already working on my second one okay you ready for this topic i'm ready you know i love it i decided nobody covers the park like i do coming up sometime in the month of june i will release my second disneyland story disneyland rocks ah a 10-minute documentary nice. about the rocks of Disneyland. <laughs> Who's psycho? Me. Love it. I bet some Tomorrowland rocks are going to get some special attention. Oh, t- <laughs> <laughs> positive. They're the positive videos. Uh, of course. They're positive course. videos. Head over to YouTube and look up Animated, the future of Disney animatronics, or swing by my channel if you'd like. It's Adventures in Design. Subscribe. Give me a like or follow on the videos, and please tell a friend. Hey friends, I'm talking about hats, 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 custom embroidery, custom threads, custom effects. There's no better time to stock the retail shelves, outfit the crew, or get the team looking like they're ready to win with professionally embroidered headwear. From your friends over at Jack Prince, choose from over two dozen of their most popular styles, proudly emblazoned with your brand. And hey, if you don't see the style of customization your design needs or the brand that you want to wear, just ask Jack Prince. Always happy to help you customize and make the perfect product for you and your customers. Always more than happy to find the perfect hat just for you. Start your custom hat design and order today at jackprince.com slash circle of trust, where shipping is always free on domestic orders. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth. And all of its history, its secrets, and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design. And you allow your heart to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland.
Bright Suns, fellow citizens of Disneyland, or shall I say, fellow citizens of Batu. On today's show, part one of a two-part series, Jared and myself are going to do the deep dive on the brand new, fully immersive thing that we've been dreaming about for over four years. It's here, many of us have been in, and it was everything, and dare I say, a little bit more than what we bargained for or dreamed of. I'm talking to you about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Today's episode part one is a complete guide to the big, big dream that just opened up for each of us. One immersive 14-acre land divided into three acts, home of two major e-ticket attractions, nine different shops that we can shop at, and five beautiful refreshment stands and restaurants where we can get more energy to put more back in to this amazing feat of architectural ingenuity and some good old-fashioned imagineering and imagination. As Walt said, Disneyland will never be completed as long as there's imagination. And I think we're just seeing the start of Disneyland 2.0. It's Disneyland for Designers, Episode 6, A Complete Guide to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. officially a citizen of Batu? I think so. I mean, you've got citizenship, right? Pretty much. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the show that I've been waiting to record for four years. At least. I didn't know that you were going to come into my life and that this show would come into the network. <laughs> oh my God, did the stars align so that when this explosion of excitement happened, there was a partner and a place to really be able to share all of the ideas, all of the inspiration with an audience we've been able to build over five episodes that seem to be just as crazy as we are. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, I've only been to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge once now. Oh. And you've been three times. Yes. My number one question for you is, how does it feel the second time? Because I today we're going to talk a lot about things from my perspective of how I saw it the first time. Right. But I just, I'm dying to know the question I want to know from you is how does it feel on round two? So round two is great. Like I think the first time you're so overwhelmed that Mm -hmm. I cannot emphasize enough how overwhelmed I was for that first thing. Just taking it in the scope, the size, uh, seeing the Falcon, all that stuff. Uh, it, It just kind of, completely overwhelms you and you get taken in by that so to go to the second time you soak it in Mm -hmm. and then you see the details and it's like 
now you're interacting with the land. So right. I think that's probably the main difference, which I, I'm, we'll break this down as we go through some of these topics here. But, uh, man, to go to the second time, and I think there was about a week in between visits. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Just I'm so lucky to have that, uh, that chance to do that. When then you went two days in a row. You took a week off. Right. Two days in a row. Yeah. Third trip. Because <laughs> here's the thing about Disneyland, and I'll, I'll admit this. I mean, I'm a hardcore fan. Right. I fancy myself a citizen of Disneyland, even though I've never gotten the button. You know, only been there 250 times. The <laughs> button's waiting for me today, I'm sure. <laughs> but there is a way where, I'm not going to say you take it for granted, but you mm-hmm. become accustomed to it. You mm-hmm. become used to it. And I'm curious, doing two days in a row, and maybe this is great advice for when it's open to gym pop right and mom and dad that are listening to think about going hard on spending money to go down to orlando when it opens in the fall like it i i have some theories we'll get to later on today okay. but i think that this might be something that's so special that it's best in moderation hmm so i think it depends on how into it you are okay. so there are some very specific as you know there's some very specific things to do there yeah and you want to hit these things yeah and i think it's difficult with the way they're doing it with these reservations to hit everything in one four-hour window. Oh, I came close, You though. came close, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's like, it takes the pressure off if you know, I'm coming back tomorrow. Right. I will do the lightsaber thing tomorrow. I'm not going to stress about it right now. I think the thing that got me the most on the day of my reservation. Yeah. And I thought about this the night before. The night before, I was very much a kid on Christmas Eve. Mm. Tomorrow's my Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I just, I want... Like, I hate to rush time because as you get older, you realize how precious it is. Yep. And when, you know, you become a professional and life becomes a string of events and you're like, oh, just three more days. So I'll do this thing. Right. It's really easy to lose all that viable space in between the high notes. So I really try not to do that. But I found myself in that kid on Christmas Eve mentality. And I think what I, I was telling myself that got me so excited and it lived up to this expectation is tomorrow. I get to go to a brand new Disney park for the first time. for the first time yes. and that only happens so many times in your life yes. i mean there's literally only five parks in the world right so therefore or is it six now two three in asia six six so yeah yep. there's only six parks in the world um and to be able to crack one open for the first time especially when you know that it's a premier Disney experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not that weird thing that's across from Disneyland Paris. <laughs> I mean, that was like, that was bizarre. That's going to be a show. Oh, that's a whole show. But this was one of those rare moments in life where you have high expectations. Yeah. And the thing that you do not only meets those expectations, but in my experience, rises above what you thought it could be. Yes, exactly. Now, I, I think... This is what Disney does best. And this is the appeal of Disney because I went the first day mm-hmm. and I will say like I was overwhelmed and blown away and I was immediately thinking about how I would frame this in the context of the show. Me too. What am I going to say? How am I going to say this so I sound like I'm being critical but not, you know, like a How am a I going to ignore Bricky for the next two weeks? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, but then the second day I found myself, I completely gave in mm-hmm. and it's like... I love this for all of its good points, all of its bad points. I love it like I do Disneyland. And that to me is like a sign of like a hit. Well, then let's do this. What we have in front of us, uh, what we're going to do on the first part of today's show is we have in front of us literally every part of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge written out. Mm -hmm. We're going to go by it land by land, concept by concept, piece by piece, and really kind of give you guys 
our experiences, our views. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now that I don't think that there's a lot of spoilers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you just have to see it and experience it. And, you know, I knew that I was only three days away from the uh, initial opening to the public. Right. So I just avoided video so I could see everything for the first time myself. Right. However, there was never a moment where I'm like, oh, like this would have been a major spoiler. Like once you get in it and you live it and you walk around it and you get kind of twisted and turned around and it, it's just fascinating. So mm-hmm. let's just do this. Let's start off with looking at it from the top level. It's a massive 14 acre land, the biggest ex- uh, expansion ever in Dis- Disneyland's history of over 60 years. It did feel very, very big. It yes. felt huge because I kept thinking 14 acres. We know that Rise of the Resistance takes up an incredible amount of space. Yes. We also know that the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run is going to have a nice size footprint. And part of that land is there's a space of land that's labeled future expansion. Very exciting. So I thought 14 acres, how big could it really feel? It feels massive. So let me, let me, this was something that hit me right off the bat. And and it's, it was part of the criticism. I say as lightly as I possibly can, because here's the question for you on that. It feels so different than the rest of the park. Yes. Completely like, not just that because it's star Wars and it doesn't feel like that. The scope, the the relative size of things, the, the size of the sidewalks, yeah. just feels completely. It's a completely different, different layout. Yeah. than it's a completely different layout than any part of Disneyland. Yeah, and it's a completely different layout than uh, California Adventure. Yes, because the difference between DCA and Disneyland is they widen the walkways. Mm-hmm. They didn't go so aggressive with the hooks in the road, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a the locals love it because it's an easy park to get around. But with Galaxy's Edge, it's a whole different navigational system that I'll get to later on in the show that's designed around exploration and really making you feel like you're inside of a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something I wanted to talk about later, but let's just get into it right now. Okay. Something to ponder for the whole episode, and maybe we'll talk about it again at the end. But could this have been a third gate? So that's what I was thinking, too. And... I don't know. I go back and forth. Obviously, there's not enough attractions here. Would we have seen a watered-down, thinned-out version just to get a full park out? Right. Sort of if like what had, happened with California. If they had 80 acres to go. Yeah. Because yeah. you, know, you can go hard with 14, as we've seen. Right. But can you keep up that rhythm for a whole park? But I would say this. If they took that thing and built it five or six more times, yes. people would be very content spending $100 plus a day just to go to that. For sure. I think there's enough content there. I think there's enough history. There's enough genre to get spread across a whole park. And maybe we'll start seeing like how they've done Harry Potter, that we see a second Star Wars land in another park. Yeah. You visited Batuu, go visit this other planet in California Adventure. Well, I know that the one that they're doing in Paris is an abbreviated version. So mm. Orlando and uh, California are exact duplicates. Right. Exact duplicates except for one little area. that We have three entrances. They're only going to have two. Uh, they won't have the entrance over in the, the Imperial area. Ah. Um, so they're exact clones. But the mini land they're doing in Paris... Who knows if that's going to just be like half of ours, like if it's just going to be Smuggler's Run. But you bring up a good idea of can they pick up the storytelling? So going to another park, it's like going to another planet. Mm -hmm. The land is going to be made of two major attractions. Right now, Smuggler's Run, uh, the Millennium Falcon attraction, is open, but Rise of the Resistance is not. 
when I entered on uh, my first visit, and, and probably on your second and third, yeah, they bring you in by the rise of the resistance. Right, 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 right. I knew that area was going to be sparse and feel park-like. Yeah. I didn't know that they were going to do such a great job of hiding, which is arguably the largest attraction that they've ever made in their history, and you cannot see it. Yeah, completely. And, and it's not open yet, so we have no idea. We get an idea of where you enter yeah. and maybe where the queue goes yeah. for the extended queue. But we have. It doesn't show you anything. It doesn't you show you a ride. It. It, like a like a ship. It doesn't show a building. You just see rock work and an entrance, and minimal rock work. Yes, because yes. this thing has a massive amount of rock work. It has what looks to be a canopy, which maybe some sort of spaceship that crashed in the side of this rock ravine mm-hmm. ages ago. That now the rebellion is you know because they're just squatters. Right. They're just throwing, right. They're, they're, <laughs> watch out. They'll move into your basement. Right. But you can't see any of that. Yeah. It it really does feel like a forest and it feels very spread out. And then when you get to the other side, uh the the Millennium Falcon, the smugglers run, it's in the heart of everything. Yeah. I mean it it it's funny because I'm gonna guess that's the weaker of the two attractions. Mm. But that is the Sleeping Beauty's castle for Star Wars. Land. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I will say to this uh, on the area that you entered. That is a phenomenal transition. Subtle. Yeah. Like there's not a lot going on there. They're not they're not screaming you're transitioning. It feels incredibly long, that walk to get mm-hmm. from Star Wars land to It feels Hungry like a pilgrimage. Yeah. And just amazing, right? There's no big sign like Star Wars land this way. It's just a Don't get cocky, thing. kid. You're yeah. two miles away. <laughs> it makes sense and it's seamless and it's gorgeous. And like I was blown away by things like that, I think. How and, they handled that. But the subtleties of once you cross underneath the Disneyland Railroad, right. which has always been our protector, on the other side, the plant life is lush. Mm-hmm. So many different types of plants stacked on top of each other. No real rhythm of, am I in Palm Springs, California, right. or Big Bear? Like Everything that would basically live in California is planted there. Yep. And then just a subtle switch of light fixtures, mm-hmm. street lights, like we've never seen before. Very rustic, very industrial looking. Um you know, sci-fi with taste. Yeah. Like if you had a mid-century, if you had a modern home in the Hollywood Hills mm-hmm. and you had these going up your, your front walkway, nobody would think twice that you were a weirdo. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I think that's like, it's great because it works so well with Star Wars specifically. Yeah. I was thinking about this earlier about how with sci-fi, it's so different than what we see in Star Wars. And I think you couldn't say something like, say, Alien or something. It wouldn't work in this environment because you wouldn't feel... It always feels like you're on a ship or something in right. this film. So to be... Something like Star Wars, where you're exploring these environments and planets and, and, you know, everything's sort of regional, like it's the forest planet or the snow planet. Like, this works so well with how they've designed the story to fit into where it does within the park. Hey, Disneyland for Designers. I know you're listening to today's show not only because you love the magic of Disney, but you love the design of Disney and the thought process and creativity that goes into exploring imagination. And that's why I'm happy to say this episode of Disneyland for Designers on the Adventures in Design Network is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes for creators, entrepreneurs, and curious imaginations just like yours. 
you can take classes in a wide range of topics, including illustration, graphic design, photography, animation, fine art, music, music production, film and video, basically what I'm saying, anything you're trying to do for your freelance and entrepreneurship is in there. Or if you just want to sharpen up the career that you already have, learn new skills, get deeper into what your discipline is when you explore the classes of Skillshare. And the classes get so specific. There's a class called Star Wars Special Effects. Create your own Star Wars lightsabers and lightning. Imagine going to the galaxy's edge, filming you and your friends hanging out, edit in those effects, post it over on Instagram or on YouTube. Learning new crafts is always fun, but it's important for the long run because the more things you know how to do, the more valuable you are in the marketplace. What I love about Skillshare the most is how easy it is to consume information while you're sitting at your desk. It's one of the things I love to do on my lunch break. Watch a class, eat a sandwich. I'm a better person and fool when it's all over with. Join millions of students already on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for absolutely free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Adventures in Design and Disneyland for Designer listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for absolutely free. Sign up. Go to Skillshare.com slash adventures. Again, Skillshare.com slash adventures to start your two months right now. That's Skillshare.com slash adventures. Fellow designers of Disneyland, look, this is the deal. The faster you get your work done, the more affordably you get your work done, the more time and money you have to go to Disneyland, right? The more merch you can buy, the more snacks you can eat, the more adventures you can go on. That's why I'm excited to announce that I can help you save time and money no matter what you send. From your personal packages to professional boxes and letters, just click and send and save with this new offer from our sponsor, SendPro Online. Starting at only $4.99 a month, you can print shipping labels and stamps right there from your own printer. Easily compare rates using online software, gain access to special USPS savings for letters and priority mail shipping, plus track all of your shipments and get email notifications the moment they arrive. Go to pb.com slash design to access the special offer and to get a free 30-day trial plus a free 10-pound scale to help you get started on all of this efficiency and savings. That's pb.com slash design. Experience a better way to ship with a free trial of Simpro Online from Pitney Bowes at pb.com slash design. Save time, save money, have more time, have more money for sweet, sweet Disneyland. I feel like I could go right now. When you look over where Smuggler's Run is at in the Millennium mm-hmm. Falcon, uh, I'm going to say a top-notch Disneyland attraction. Yeah. You know, I really had low expectations yep. on the list of things I wanted to do. This was not a high priority. Right. My group's like, are you ready to ride the ride yet? I'm like, oh, let's walk over here and see what's down this alleyway. You yeah. know, like I was just in explorative, like, heaven. Uh, so we, we rode it, and... It's attracted, you know, the attraction itself is able to handle a lot of people in its queue. Surprisingly, yeah. And it, it keeps it moving. If it goes slow, like if, if you were to go to the park and you saw a 45-minute wait, mm-hmm. I would say don't hesitate because you'll actually want that time to see all the different pieces. Right, right. The way that they 
hook you around the back of the Millennium Falcon, yes. bring you up a level, hook you back around. feels a little star toursy when you're walking mm-hmm. around to, to elevate yourself up. But then when you get into the pre-show area, yeah. just fantastic. The uh, Hondu animatronic just flows and glides. He spins around. He turns around. Like He's not stationary in one spot. I was looking. His legs don't move. He is riding on right. a track. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't see the track because he's up above us. Right. He's so high. So that's high. Uh, that whole area, just absolutely amazing. The the level of patina and distress that's put on every rail, every piece of metal. It's brand mm-hmm. new. Yeah. But it looks like it was found yeah. from a scrapyard. Yeah. It just really looks beat down. It looks core Star Wars. And then there's the moment of getting into the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. So now this is one of the best parts. And, and to me, this is one of the... It's a it's a weird mix because we're going to get into this ride here, but this is one of the best parts of this whole thing for me, this whole experience. Really? To see, because uh, this is the original trilogy, and this land is predominantly, I would say, Force Awakens, Rebels a little bit, um, but it's not a lot of, it's not, it's not held up by the original trilogy i don't think yeah um it's, it's really geared towards sort of this new generation of star wars so to go into this thing where we're very familiar with this ship and to see these hallways and that the, the chess table and all that stuff to me was the most emotional very star warsy part for me so i had a, an indication from you that it was an emotional voyage yeah and i I was lucky that my friend Tavo, who's a phenomenal photographer, was with us. Right. I'm like, he's going to take photos of everything. And I didn't want to get into that living life through a a five-inch screen. Right. I wanted to enjoy things. Yes. But one of the things I made sure to do, and I'll show it to you when we're done, is I pulled out my camera Mm -hmm. and I shot myself going into the Millennium Falcon for the first time. Your perspective or you're facing you? No, holding me. Yeah. So selfie style. And you can see my crew behind me. And there's literally a moment where you just see me forget I'm holding up a camera. I just, I get lost and I'm like, I'm inside of it. Yeah. And that was the moment where I didn't cry, but I could have, if I would have, if I wanted to. (laughs) Exactly. And um, we got in there and we're looking at all the details and they go, Orange Group, you're next. And we just go, whoa, that was quick. And we just went right in front of another family that was also Orange Group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Beth, distracted. Beth was laughing. She goes, we just cut a family line. And I felt horrible. Right, but right. You're, you know, the door's closed. You're already in there. And so, you know, I did a little bit of uh, light Disney bounding yes. with my solo you outfit. You did. No, that was great. I think that's perfect. And I want to tell you, I, I'm not a, I love the theatrics of of halloween and mm-hmm. i and i love the visuals of it but i'm not a big dress up right you know right. I, I'm just, I like to watch the kids but i don't need to be a part of it yeah i'm a bit of a halloween i guess uh voyeur so sitting in that seat the fr- you know front left han seat yeah and having that vest on and the white sleeves and then you know just hitting that button yeah. and being the one that pulled the knob mm-hmm. and brought us into flight it was just amazing. It, it was amazing. And then when it's time to go into light speed and I just, you know, I said, hit it, Hammer. And I looked over at Hammer, who's a lot larger than me, kind of like Chewbacca, grabbed the, the knob and just mm-hmm. boom, pull yeah. us back. It's a feeling I'll never forget. Yeah. No, completely. And, you know, we did Indiana Jones last time strategically. Sure. Which is really the only other live action attraction at the park, you know, yeah. ignoring Star Tours because right. it's more of the same. I have to say, 
my best review for Smuggler's Run is, quote, felt like guy in movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I felt, like, yes. I watch Indiana Jones when I go through uh, the, the, that attraction. But here, there's enough going on around you where you feel like you're in the Millennium Falcon. You feel like you're in space. And if you've watched videos or seen it covered on the news, I know the video screens can look cheesy. And mm-hmm. look very cartoony, video gamey, very, very yeah. video gamey, very animated. When you're living in it, it looks a lot different. Yep, it, it it's very very immersive. It takes over all of your senses. They've got you so spun out on hitting yes. knobs and working with your team and looking out the windows that it it takes you there. It feels real. It feels long. You've now wrote it how many times? Five times. Does that feeling go away or does it strengthen? So I would say this. You are so distracted, just like you said, by doing, you're supposed to, the buttons flash and you're supposed to, you yeah. know, and, and Hondo's kind of telling you, oh, gunners do this and, and that kind of thing. You are so distracted. It took me about the first three times to get a sense of what we were actually doing. I realized yeah. I did not watch this film to get a sense of the story more than I was concerned about hitting my buttons and things yeah. like that, which is fantastic. Um, so I was thrilled about that. And I think that really extends the life of the ride because every time you go on, you can serve a different purpose or it's a slightly different story. And I, it looks to me like they could probably change the story up relatively easily or insert things or something. Like yeah, that. but same could be said with Toy Story and they've right. only did it once. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they kind of have a right. way of messing with us. Like, oh, yeah, we'll yeah. change this once a week. And then they yeah, don't. But exactly. When you think about the world of advertising and marketing and what Disney's good at, I could see, hey, now you're going on a mission to promote the next movie. So how many times did you ride it? Just once. Just once. So there is some variation that we did get to see. And I don't know if it's based on whether you get these canisters. Like if you get two canisters, you get this additional scene or or what. But there is some variation that we're seeing already. I'm not sure how. Like maybe there's just two. But I don't know. Well, when you leave the the Millennium Falcon... Mm -hmm. You exit through various different exits, and it is the longest walk ever out of a ride. Right. There's no cast member saying, keep going this way, keep going this way. Almost a little confusing. Almost, yeah. I think by design. Yeah. Like, it feels like you're walking around in a spacecraft, in a spaceport. <laughs> right. And I started to realize when we'd walk past other hallways, that would they all kind of funnel into the, the main passageway. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing, like, that hallway is a different theme than mine. So maybe yeah. if you don't, maybe if you're just bad and you don't make it to the other end, like because yeah. we we did the whole challenge, right? Maybe that's where you get off. Like I was very fascinated that other people are exiting the ride in different ways. Yeah. Uh, so this was a concern for me at the beginning when I was hearing about this ride was how are you going to board six different or whatever uh, cockpits? Yeah. Without it looking like that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And they've done it extremely well here. Absolutely. And when I. F- discovered how the ride actually worked. I did a YouTube video about it. Yeah. And that YouTube video has caught a little bit of fire because people are just like, I just did it and I want to know how it works. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that people were fascinated about when they were building Star Wars land is they put these two huge circles, Mm -hmm. circles made of concrete. It was one of the first things that they built and nobody was really putting two and two together that your Millennium Falcon flight would be in a cockpit going around one of these circles. Right. And so since it's circle based, they can kind of load you in, spin you around and drop you off wherever. This is amazing. And take you down a floor. What's amazing too, is my group didn't realize this. Like I had to say like, look, we are not exiting 
where we entered. Yeah. Like you don't see that room you were just in when you come off and go the other way. Yeah. You're in a completely different way, but you're so into the story and what you just experienced, you're not looking for it. So I think it'll take a while for people to start realizing like sort of the cleverness of that. Absolute great ride. If I have to give my honest review though, Star Tours, Soarin' Over California, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. video board rides do not make me sick. This one made me very sick, and a good <laughs> 90 minutes of my visit was slightly ruined because I was dealing with motion sickness. Well, people in our party felt the same way. People who I knew were sensitive to this kind of thing did feel that same thing. So I don't think it's unusually bad. Was there a certain part? Like, So there's a lot of this sort of turning around, and it's a kind of over-your-head video. There were, well, everything around you, you know, the entire cockpit yeah. is screens. Right. So you, there's just screens all around you, and there's it's flawless. I don't know if it's one big screen that's actually wrapped around you, but mm. it's flawless. It's not like two video boards don't right. line up. Like, it's absolutely seamless. Um, but for me, there are some big drops. Yeah. And there are some real like kicks to the ship, and mm-hmm. that was there was one of those where I was like, oh god, yeah, oh, I mean, and you feel it sitting up front too. Oh yeah, that's being, what you feel at the being most. in the captain's chair. Yeah, but you know, I booked the reservation. I'm the hardcore guy. Oh for sure. I told everybody I'm like front left, that, and I actually I assigned everybody seats. Okay, <laughs> so let's look at this. The park is divided up into three main sections. And see okay. what I just did? Yeah. Park. It feels like it's like its, its own a, thing. It so it's divided into three major areas. We already kind of talked about the resistance outpost, the forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is kind of act one. If you enter in through the Hungry Bear, I think you maybe had a different experience when you came on that special night. Right. But I think the slow transition is a really great way to go. We already talked a lot about how that land feels expansive. We won't really know the full charm of that until Rise of the Resistance opens. Right. But there's three spaceships sitting around. There's a, a little uh, shopping area that we'll talk about later on in today's show. It it just it gets you into the, the mood. Like it starts to get the brain warmed up. And I feel like the first OMG moment that I had mm-hmm. was when we got to the edge of act two, which is the black spire outpost, yes. which is the market and the bazaar. And so when we walked up upon the bazaar and you have two options, you can go to the right, which you don't realize is graded downhill mm-hmm. Or you can go left, which is slightly graded uphill, all the while passing a weird, massive gate that you're like, what comes in and out of that, yes, that gate? like a parade gate. Yeah. yeah. So we obviously, we were attracted to go left and to go into the bazaar. Yeah. I would just remember standing there, looking in that building with five o'clock California sunlight yes. hitting it. Yes. It's all warm colors. The light lit it up. I'm just looking at it going, oh my God. What am I, what am I, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Where am I going? It's real. Like that was the moment. Yep. And I walked into that bazaar and with all of the stalls recessed in and so much of the storytelling mm-hmm. and the, the detailing, I, it was the first big moment I had of this is something I'm going to get to experience for the rest of my life. I think that's the way to do it too. Like the way you came in is because you're seeing the detail right off the bat and you are going towards the detail. So when we came in with uh, the 33 group, we came in through the big entrance, the big turn and everything, which the is big in, Thunder Mountain one. Yeah, and that's dramatic and great and 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 
actually brilliant the way it's hidden, like so close but so hidden. But I think the way you did it is the way to do it because it it's how it's storytelling. It's it's bringing you into this thing slowly and getting you excited about it. You come in that side and you're seeing buildings right away. And for the first time, that's very exciting. But I think to experience it the way you did is to really follow the story the way it was intended. It it does feel like that's the way to go because the story is building. And so you go from the sparse rebellion into the, biz- the bizarre area, which is kind of where the citizens of Batu would live. And they had one cast member. She was standing in the middle. And she had uh, one of those like detonator cokes in, in her mm-hmm. right hand and yeah. the little popcorn bucket in her left. And she was like, 20 credits, 20 credits. <laughs> and I thought, that's amazing. They need four or five more of those people. Yeah. They need people out there like trying to lure you into the shops, you right. know? Um, so, one of the things that Disney does better than anybody is discovery of storytelling. And a lot of times that happens in what I refer to as the three levels of storytelling. Yes. And so, one of the great things about this area is they put the bend in the road, mm-hmm. right? It's not a straight hall. There's a, there's a little arc to it. And as you work your way through it, I was like, guys, guys, there's a Millennium Falcon, like right out the door. And I just, it's it's so angled perfectly that you just see the cockpit. Yes. You see the part that matters yes. the most. But at the right time. Yes. Which is amazing because it's not like Tower of Terror where you see this thing from the gate and it makes no sense from where you see it. And, and then you get to it and you're like, oh, there it is. Like this thing is perfect. This is. I thought about this when we were walking through it, your three levels of storytelling, how, okay, so 14 acres is a lot of space, but the way they've situated this feels much bigger. It does. That you're not seeing that falcon from every corner that you're in. No. It's not this overpowering thing. You have to work your way to it. Yeah. And this huge thing is nestled in there, and you don't see it until they want you to see it. And and what's amazing is, you know, Rondo Roasters is so much story for just a small stand that has two items. Right. But (laughs) it's, it's a crucial part of... You got to look around it yeah. to get to that Millennium Falcon. So in that main area there, um, that's where where the villagers would live. And the fact that they use they you know they didn't have to do this, but they graded it up on height. And in a chi- time of accessibility, they mm-hmm. made it to where if, you know if, if you can't walk, you're, you're going to be able to get around to where you need to go to. But for those of us that do have working legs, it really creates a, a level of storytelling and. Yeah. For the first time ever, you enter Disneyland shops on the upper level. Right. You know, you you feel like you're going into the top floor or something. So they really did build a lot of mystique in that center area, which then works you around eventually to the last area, which is sort of where the first order is really set up shop. And Mm -hmm. this would be the Fantasyland entrance and exit. That area... I think embraced my New Orleans square prediction more than anything. Mm. There's not a lot happening down that thoroughfare there. Right, 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 right. But every 15 to 20 feet is divided up yes. into a space, yes. into a stand, into a shop, into a doorway, into a portal mm-hmm. where there's not a lot going on. Yeah. But man, oh man, does it feel like everything's going on. Yeah. No, and, it's amazing. And all three of those lands, it flows together seamlessly. We'll get to talk about the design of them uh, later on in today's show. But just want to kind of give you the vibe of how we felt about the lands. And now let's just jump in and just go 
stand by stand. Awesome. I mean, you, you've been enough times where you've got to do it all. The, the, the first thing that you see when you come in the way that I did is the resistance supply. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, two carts. Yeah. Where it looks like the spaceport doors are opened up to see the merchandise. This is where you would buy anything that if you're a part of the resistance, the clothing there's all themed around the rebellion. Two little stands has enough footprint around it so it's not blocking the flow of people right, exactly has enough rusting and space type vibe to it that when we came in we saw those we're like merch yeah and we went straight to it and did a lap of each like all my dreams are on the other side of the horizon <laughs> but they look so cute and play so purposeful that i'm like mm-hmm. i gotta walk around these yeah that's interesting. See, that's what we missed when we came in the other wave. And in fact, when the first preview night we went to, those were closed. Those weren't even open. Mm. And we exited that way. So we saw that as an afterthought. But I think once that other ride is open, that might change the sort of central feeling of that area from what we saw on this visit. Because you've got the X-Wing there. You've got the, I guess that's Anakin ship yeah. uh, sort of over there. you got Chewbacca that sort of... It's an interesting thing. He's kind of walking around. It's it's not really a photo op per se. He's fast. Yeah. Whoever they have, I mean, Chewbacca is yes. been trained to be fast. Like if you say, Chewie, can I get a selfie? He'll like pop in, yeah. have a slight conversation with you, and then he's off to the next yes, one. Yes. It's not a princess Photoshop. No. Where you, and they're you, not going to yeah. do that in this land. Right. Right. They're going to let people just kind of, you experience it. They're citizens. They live there. They come and go. And we had lots of experiences. Like mm-hmm. we had stormtroopers harassing us. Tavo and Rilo Ken did, uh, not get along good, at all. Good. Kylo Ren. Yes. I always do that backwards. <laughs> Rilo and Ken are like two guys from my neighborhood. <laughs> but they got together and they, they mixed it up. And it, it's like, there's a lot of interaction. I even yeah. saw like a bounty hunter mm. and she was walking through the thoroughfare. Yeah. yeah. And she had like blue hair and an orange jacket on. And she was like, <laughs> she was walking up on people and kind of like eavesdropping. And you could tell that she was trying to mix it up with somebody. Yeah. But yeah, the resistance supply... As far as two stands mm-hmm. with eight panels of merchandise, excellent. Yeah. Just excellent. And I would say, too, because I think you saw that first, I think that has an impact more. Yeah. It is the most traditional of what you're going to see. Yes. That feels like the most retail cart that you're going to see in this entire land. Absolutely. So if that's your first thing, I think that's great because then you're just blown away for the next one. If you see that at the end, I think it's a little less like, oh, merch carts. Right. Yeah. And it felt, it does feel traditional retail. But the veneer around it. Yes. And, and that building up to the next moment. So when we look at some of the shops that are over in the bazaar, the creature stall. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people were really excited about this. Now, work me through this. Yeah. There's an outdoor creature stall. Yes. But then there's also a store. Like the creature stall to me felt like it was almost in two different locations. Right. So I think, so in the Pandora world and in, in Disney world there, they have those dragons that were sort of sit on your shoulder and those were huge. That was yeah. a huge thing. So I think their thinking is that these things are going to be big. Let's pull it out of that shop. So that shop and these shops are small shops. Yes. These, there's no emporium here. Um, everything's tiny. So I think any sense of a line is disruptive. Mm-hmm. So I think they probably pulled that out to think that if this thing's going to take off, let's just separate it from the rest of the shops. Again, smart. It has more to do with storytelling, I think, than commerce. Um, but you're right. I think there's two spots then for creatures. 
I've heard some critical people say the only thing to do there is spend money. And I would argue that you could go there, not spend a nickel mm-hmm. and still have a great time. I'm not a big merch guy. I don't yeah. I don't really buy stuff. And looking at the shops, looking at it all, like if you only had enough money to get into the park that day, you would be fine without spending a nickel. And these shops are an experience all on their own. And it never feels like the cash grab everybody thought it was going to be. This is your Main Street. This is this yeah. is merch serving as storytelling in yeah. the same way that it does on Main Street in the best way possible. Citizens of Batu, thank you so much for listening to today's episode six of Disneyland for Designers. This is only part one, the complete guide to the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. Coming up in part two that we have for Circle of Trust members, we go into 10 top design tricks and gimmicks. I went through the land. I, I was thinking the entire time, what are the things that are impressing me the most? What are the things that I didn't think of? The things that I couldn't imagine when I was looking at the model or the satellite images? What was the part that got me, that made me feel all the feelings of the galaxy's edge? And because I want to keep it honest and I, and I want to keep it crucial and this is how the design mind works, what are five things that they could maybe slightly improve moving forward? Some of them I know for sure will improve over time. But I did want to look at it with a critical eye. I don't ever want to be the reviewer that's so in love with the product that they can't see its faults. But then again, realize that the faults are a way to make it stronger and better for the future. That's coming up in part two. We have an entire whole second episode available for members of Circle of Trust, an hour plus more of Jared and myself exploring this wonder that the Imagineers pulled off over at the Disneyland Park. To do that, head over to AID.network. Become a member of the Circle of Trust where you'll not only get that second episode today, but the full version of all other five episodes of Disneyland for Designers, as well as hundreds, and I mean over 900 full-cut episodes where I sit down and talk to fellow folks that figured out the way to turn their daydream into their day job. From Imagineers to ABC top-level executives to musicians to people that work in film and cinema, which is the same thing to illustrators, designers, and graphic designers, to professional skateboarders. Uh, I've talked to so many amazing people, and I'd love to share it all with you, as well as our workshops and different courses you can take to improve your mindset and creativity and productivity. That's right. I just coined the term productivity. Anyways, so much is available, including the second part of today's episode. Sign up today. Become a member of the Circle of Trust at the AID.network. Let's get into part two of today's episode for you, a complete guide to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge on Disneyland for Designers, episode six. Did you make your way over to the Tordarian Toymaker? Yes, of course. Because one of the things that I loved about it is how small it was. Mm -hmm. It's just a little narrow, like rectangle strip that runs parallel with the thoroughfare. The first time I went into the shop, I was so blown away by the wooden toys. Yeah. yeah. The wooden Jawa vehicle. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so... Beth was like, what is that? <laughs> I'm like, it looks really like it was made here. And then the music boxes mm-hmm. that play the different theme songs. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I stepped out. Later on that night, uh, DK wanted to go in and get something. Because right. he's not a big Disneylander. like, this will probably be the only time I do this. He goes in to buy something. And I go, oh, my Lord. Oh, my Sith Lord. Dan, look up. Yeah. And that's when we realized that in the ceiling, there's a hand carved, appears to be hand carved. Right, right, right. 
There's a death, uh, uh, Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Tie fighters, like there's a whole battle scene yeah. hanging like a mobile from the the ceiling, and right. I didn't even see that the first time. I know. Oh my god, it's so great. So were these guys all Star Wars guys? Are these all very hardcore Star Wars people, or are they sort of casual Star Wars fans? So in our group, I would rank as the most hardcore Star okay. Wars fan. Okay. Grew up with the movies, have seen every movie opening day. You're the right age. Yeah, I'm. I'm, and I have a whole emotional story about it, which is not Disneyland appropriate. Right. Uh, but it's a special part of my yes weird relationship with my mother. Right. So I'm the most hardcore, and then on the farthest spectrum of me in our six is is my wife. Right. Who I showed the movies too. She doesn't hate it. She doesn't love it. She doesn't think that it's geeky, but she's it's just not really her thing. Yeah. Her dad in a Bad decision making of parenting showed his daughters space balls. And if I knew them then, I would have called CPS. So didn't raise on the movies, doesn't know it. Yeah. And I would say everybody between us was kind of the same way. Like Dan was probably closest to me and then Hammer and Gus and then Carl and Beth. And six for six, everybody blown away. Everybody had a great time. And everybody got out of it. The Something. level of their love. Right. You know? Exactly. So if you're hardcore like me, there was just endless details. Yes. If you're casual like Beth, she's still like, that was great. Her green milk, blue milk video probably sums it up the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Now, also in that area, there is the Black Spire Outfitters. Mm-hmm. Now, that clothing. Yeah. I don't like this about myself, but I'm like, man. This is high quality. Like there's a nice waffling on this robe. <laughs> yes. But the fact that you're not allowed to wear it in the land mm-hmm. is very weird because I don't know when else you would wear it. Right. right. So if there was ever a time that you might get me to throw down $120 to wear a robe, it might be like, if I could buy that right now and wear it right now, Yeah. why not? I'm exactly. in Star Wars land. Who's going to judge me? Exactly. It's a smart call because you described that bounty hunter that's running around. I think it could get confusing or that bounty hunter would lose its effectiveness yeah. if every nerd is running around with Whoa. a similar outfit. Nerd. Oh, I use that term affectionately wow. completely. Yeah. Um, so I'm all for that. Like, I think that's a great thing. And I bet they lift it for special special occasions or oh, Halloween parties that or could things be neat. like that. And then it's like, ah, this is the day you go to wear your costume when you can't normally do it. So I think there's a lot of strategy around that. I would maybe say, I would almost maybe do some interesting signage that says that there's like a, you know, a badge. Mm, yeah. You know, like there's certain badges. If somebody has this badge on, they're a citizen of Batu. If they have this badge on, they're part of the rebellion. And so that cast members would be the only people that have access to that badge. Mm. So if somebody came up to you and did something and you didn't see they didn't have the badge on, you would just know that they're just another guest in the park. I think there's something they do similar with Japan. And I don't I don't know this for sure, and I probably shouldn't bring it up. But if you ever research this, there's so much cosplay, like actual really convincing costuming that they do have some distinction there. So you can tell the difference between guests and cast member. One, yeah, because wow. if you have some crappy situation with, with a non-cast member, they don't want Disney getting blamed, obviously, for, oh, yeah. for that. So I think they're probably trying to avoid that kind of a situation there. But uh, I think it's a... I don't know. Do you think it wouldn't, wouldn't it kind of be ruined if everyone was walking around? You know, I saw some people that, and I'm going to judge these people as not as weirdos or hardcore fans. I saw some attractive whole foods type people, right. You know, just to throw something out there. So we know what we're looking at that had on some really smart 
like space type outfits, right? You know, like a right. fashionable take on what bounding, ha- yeah. bounding. Yeah, yeah. and and some of them were specific to character. Some of them just had the vibe of Star Wars, right? And it really felt great to see others kind of in that attire. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It, I like yeah, that yeah. more than seeing a dude with, you know, a four X Mickey shirt on, and <laughs> you know the, the the two bags with the Sleeping Beauty castle on it, just overloaded with merch. You know, like right, right, right. What kind of droid are you, sir? <laughs> But I, I, I thought that the Black Spire Outfitters, I, I was more impressed by the clothing than I thought. The the gentleman that they had working the the cash wrap there, mm-hmm. phenomenal like character, like very much into into play. Yeah. Uh Jewels of Birth is across the way from there. Okay. Very small store. Yeah. Um the hardest store to find any information about online. It almost just feels like it's just another part of the creature right stand yeah i agree but it was really really it's cool and quiet and small and you know even though they sell enamel pens and things that we're used to just kind of the way that everything's in there yeah it, it, it's stuff we've seen before largely in, in in a couple of these shops but it just feels different in this environment these these stores aren't the most I say smart design because they're all like little like cubby hole dead ends. Yes. But that is by design. Yes. Because it's intrigue and it's mystery and they want to draw you in. So I I really want to give Disney a lot of credit on not making it exit to the gift shop, but making the stores part of the storytelling, which if you're smart, creates better sales. Oh, for sure. So this was the con- this was actually probably the most riskiest concept I think that we heard about before seeing this land and they've i think they've done an excellent job and it works beyond what i could have even imagined which shows sort of my shortcomings as thinking through this there are no signs there's not a sign here that says this is where you buy that stuffed animal this is you know not even like an in-character sign nothing is marked yeah nothing even these these shops down below which are these big shops where they're expecting you to drop a lot of money there's no sign. It's behind a closed door that you don't know what's behind that thing until those sliding doors open. It's just brilliant and really just adds to it. Well, once you go outside of the bazaar, there are just some statues mm-hmm. and uh, you know, almost like expensive looking junk. You mm-hmm. know, like every town has the concrete lady who has, you know, all the weird things that you can buy to put in your yard right. from, you know, marrying a half shell to like a giant gorilla. And you're like, <laughs> I understand maybe you're religious and you put Mary in your front yard, but who buys the giraffe? Like where, <laughs> where does the concrete elephant go? Yeah, right. And so there's some of that sitting out there. And then you go into Doc Ondor's Den of Antiquities, which Beautiful. I think might be one of the best stores period yeah i've ever been to in my life yeah they really merged attraction with shopping Mm -hmm. when you first come in you're forced to go to the right or to the left Mm -hmm. because the store is one big circle and there's beautiful stonework on the wall that it's telling the story of their history and then as you go in every piece of merchandise uh wrapped around you on the wall yep there's the animatronic of of doc himself yep which is really a seamless smooth moving and he can do a lot of things yep spend some time looking at that like it's hard to it's overwhelming that store but if you can watch that animatronic for a while it's pretty amazing he can spin around he works on his computer he turns around he does inventory like he really does a lot of what a shopkeep would do and the store itself has these really interesting 
cuts in the wall. Yeah. They're very much a sci-fi or Star Wars cut into the wall. The affordable merchandise lives there. But then as you look up towards the top, there's just rows and rows of oddities. And, you know, they released the 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 crystals, mm-hmm. you know, the hyper crystals, hyper crystals. They yeah. released those to the press and a couple of the statues. And I was given it like, it looks really, really lame. And I still think those look lame, but in that shop, I saw jewelry yeah. that was a couple hundred bucks, but yeah. felt well worth the purchase. I, I mean, just so many oddities and interesting things Like they really went above and beyond on the merchandising. It's so much more than amusement park merchandising. Sure. It's an extension of the story. Mm-hmm. Things you could buy that nobody would know where it was from, but you know that you went to Batu. Subtle stuff like <clears throat> the Princess Leia line where you can kind of buy the replica things. Yeah. You know, right next to uh, whatever, a $12 mug or something like yeah. that. So it's nice that they didn't sort of create this hierarchy where you can't, oh, this is the, the expensive wall and this is the cheap stuff or something like that. Um, they've mixed it in very well. And it's a surprisingly small store for being, I think this is sort of the centerpiece of the retail probably. Uh, other than these other experiences that you buy, this is pretty much that this is the closest you're going to come to an emporium. One of the things that I'll be diving into later on in our content is Doc Arndors is part of this center island. Mm-hmm. This this parcel of land makes up Doc Arndors, Savvy's Workshop, and the Droid Depot. Um, it feels to me that there's a lot of space there yeah. versus what we're actually seeing. So I want to look at this from above, and right. I want to kind of map out the shops. I feel like with... Um, Doc's Doc Ondor's um, shop, you know, if that circle, let's say that circle's uh, a forty foot circle, okay, it could have went fifty. Oh, it could use an extra five ten feet in there. But I mean, the lighting, the scale of it. I mean, you want to feel like you're really shopping in an outer world experience. Mm-hmm. It nails that, and to put Doc himself in there and a couple of the other little creatures that exist yeah. that I don't think are for purchase, but add to the variety of the right, shop. Right. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in robotics mm-hmm. just to live inside of a shop. And they've, they've sort of inserted these little tanks with creatures yeah. that move. And, and it's a nice nod to the other. There's a, there's a Sarlacc in there, which we were admiring. We thought it was cool because you see below the Sarlacc where you just see the mouth in the film, they're showing you what's down. And of course we were saying like, Oh, that's so cool. And of course a guy behind us was like, not canon. And so, <laughs> oh my gosh. you've always got that, but that's all part of the fun of Star Wars, right? I I, I just thought that that shop was just it, it just blew away my expectations. Yeah, and because there's no signage, and I refuse to study the map, we walked in, we came around the corner, and I met eyes with Doc Ondor, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, this is that shop. How crowded was it when you went? Because it was when I went the first night, it was pretty empty, which was great, and I didn't. You don't realize how bad it gets until you see it crowded, but the second day we went, it was packed. So on the two hours where our party overlapped with yeah. the other party, so right. at five o'clock from five to six, there's two groups in there, yeah, and from nine to or eight to nine, there's two groups in there. It did feel tight in those time periods, mm. and we got lucky that we just walked right into Doc Arndor's, no line at all, and I kept wanting to go back, yeah. and the line was always too long to get a second look-see. Right, so there was a line yeah. to get in yeah. the it, shop. It, okay. it, I have a feeling that 
We will look back on these reservation systems as one of the greatest blessings that we were ever given Mm -hmm. as citizens of Disneyland. Like, what an amazing opportunity to do that. So, Doc Arndor sits up on the hill that they graded. Right. Now, below it is Savvy's workshop. Mm -hmm. I didn't do this. Yes. I don't know that this interests me. Right. I, I don't know. I would spend the. $200 $200 to build a lightsaber for the experience. Sure. But then I'd probably go out into the park and be like, hey, kid, you want a lightsaber? No. Like, I don't know that I would, I don't know where this fits into my life. I'm not a stuff guy, or at least yeah. I'm trying not to be. Right, right, right. But I will say this the courtyard or mm-hmm. the scrapyard that it exists in, what amazing theming. Oh, the, beautiful. You know, you got to hold people somewhere. Right. You build this little courtyard that is recessed so as you're walking up above it and looking down at people down there shopping it it looked phenomenal you have your lightsaber with you i do i I haven't seen one yet you haven't i haven't haven't held one i haven't seen one noise if if we don't have to but uh so uh, to that about the the thing you wouldn't even know that that's the lightsaber there's not a big sign that no here's where you make the lightsaber again brilliant we had to really look for it how much did you know of the lay of the land when you went in there? Like, did you know that that was where these shops were and what you were going into? I knew what the shops were. I had seen the concept art. I, I had, by heart, I'd memorized everything that was in there, but I wouldn't allow myself to um, study the map. Right. Oh, it looks nice. The so main you, thing with these lightsabers is the weight. So, oh, that, so it's not a bro, plastic. That feels real, that man. That sold me on it because I was like, I don't know if I want to spend that. I have some other oh, similar replicas. I think I need this. If you want to turn on the, hold on, I just want to live with it. So you built these pieces. There's so there's a lot of video and pictures out there. You can see there's a basic under sort of structure. Yeah, and then you put together, you choose all these things. The initial thing is you sort of choose: do you want to be like a Sith or a good guy? Or I forget the names they use. There's a whole language. What, which there's four different yeah. routes you can take, right? Which so are I you? went. I forgot. I was going strictly by Aesthetic. aesthetics. Yeah. I didn't go. I didn't care, and I ended up being like the good guys or the justice, truth and justice, or something like that. Uh, and for those of you at home that follow his artwork, there happens to be a smiley face on the side of this. <laughs> All right, you're going to have to take over the show now because I got to do this. Okay, I got to so do this for real. He's standing up. He's got the lightsaber. The thing is, we have a lot of these at home. Uh, this thing is... <laughs> this thing is substantial. The weight of this thing is the main thing. Yeah. All right, I'm turning it on. Here we go. More effective at night in the dark. And we were carrying these things around with us and it's an amazing... Oh, it feels good. It does. Yeah. So they give you all these pieces you get to choose. There's this whole storyline of like, we're not making lightsabers because that's sort of illegal in this area. You're wanting to make something out of scrap metal. That's what they wanted you to say. Oh, man. So a fantastic experience. But when you go in there, there's this whole storyline. There's this whole presentation. How long of an experience is this? Does it eat up 20 minutes, 30 minutes? So there's a lot of waiting. And in this case, we went in and you get a time to come back to do this thing. So there's a lot of that peripheral time so you book the time yeah you come back 15 you come back at 7 15 but then you wait okay so they want you back nice and early so that while that other group's there you're waiting there and you're probably waiting there for a good 20 minutes just sitting waiting to go in yeah Um, but once you do go in i think the whole process probably less probably around 20 minutes that might even be pushing it Mm. Um, it is relatively quick they help you a lot with like these are just basic pieces that you Put sure, together and screw sure. on. It's not. It's not a long process. It's more of a theatrical. Pick your crystal, and they play some 
voices man, from the film. Imagine being eight years old. That's right. When you still believe in magic. Yeah. And doing that. I mean, it, and so is there uh, is there a ceremony when you actually get the blade? Like, okay, okay. There's a whole thing. And I wouldn't want to ruin it. And I, you, if you really want to know, I think people have posted whole videos. Uh, there's YouTube videos that will show you everything. Because like, you can they, go just, in. They'll show you the factory where they make the parts in China. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you don't want to do the lights everything, you can still go in with your party to watch the ceremony. Oh. Obviously, that's going to happen because little kids are going to want to do this and the parents are going right. to do so, Right, right. Uh, so there's a whole thing. But I will say, like, I am, like, I don't like the corny stuff, but this, like I'm like this is great this is fantastic and you sort of give into it and enjoy it but yeah it's a it's a beautiful piece it, it is. really is and feeling it surprisingly changes heavy. my mind <laughs> on the two hundred dollars I don't know I mean I I might have to do this at some point yeah uh, around the side of that mm-hmm. is the droid depot right which there's the area where people are building their droids parts come off of an assembly line you grab your parts you put them in a bus tub you go over to one of like 12, 16 stations. Right. There's power tools hanging down from the ceiling. What a fun thing to do with your kids yeah. to let them build a robot instead and of just is, buying something already made. This is in a very busy shop too. This is not like separated from the rest of the section or something. Like, that. like there's an existing shop around it and, and a lot going on. So it's a very busy, busy yeah, area. It, it's almost like imagine a, a lowercase B where there's like right. the long area is the droid depot and then the circle area of the B adjacent to it is just a, a a shop where you mm-hmm. can buy things and that's where the $25,000 R2D2 lives. Right. That right. Uh, a listener said he was there. Guy bought one, paid cash for it. Oh. 25,000 credits. That's almost shady. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they have a button where they hit it and like IRS has just been contacted. <laughs> but you know, I thought the Droid Depot looked fun. Um my design aesthetics, I like some of the coloring on the droids. I want the droid to feel like that lightsaber. That's exactly right. And if the droid did, if it had that heft, uh, and if it felt like something different than what you buy in the store or pre-made, yeah. I think I'd be more prone to that. But I completely see that that's like a kid yes. thing. Yes, uh, for sure. To take your kid in there and to do the thing that every parent has to do, like, I don't know, bud, you sure you want purple? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I do, I do, I do. Are you sure you won't regret it when you get home? Yeah. You, you sure you want purple, bud? You want the know, same one it. as your sister? You don't want to get a different thing? Okay. I'm going to tell them apart. <laughs> yeah. If the droids were metal yeah. and, and you know, maybe they'll have like adult droid night and mm. I'll go, but it, it, they looked a lot like large McDonald's Happy Meal toys to me. They look like toys. I yeah. Think that, and I think that's... So I think I think it... Um, if there was more variation, yeah, because they kind of all looked pretty similar, like R two units and stuff. Like yeah, that. I was hoping that there'd be a little bit of a variation where you could get a little bit wild, and you know, because in the first couple of movies, there's yeah a large amount of different droids. Now I didn't do it, and and so maybe there's something I'm missing there because it's just like the lights, everything. Where I could be cynical about it if I didn't do it, but maybe yeah. if I did the process, I'd be sort of taken in by it. The lightsaber experience to me seems that it's based on the the magic of Star Wars and that it's a, like a religious type thing. <laughs> right. This seems like Build-A-Bear in space. Yes. It yes. has that yes. vibe to me. The last shop is the First Order Cargo, which sits over next to Rilo and Ken's um, <laughs> ship. And it's a beautiful store in that it literally looks like it's in a hangar. Yeah. They've designed the store to look like the gate is about three quarters of the way right. up. And it... It felt the most retail to yeah. me. 
yeah, feels yeah, the yeah. most like a store, but then again, they are the Imperial Army. Yes. But uh, I, I liked it. It had some really cool stuff in there. And the fact that it's kind of off and to the side. That's exactly what I would say. It was cool. It was, it, it was cool. But there you go, folks. There's your nine different places to spend money. But that's not the only way you can do it because there are five different places to eat. Mm-hmm. First place we went to was Katsaka's Kettle. Okay. I, yeah, ours too. I thought the popcorn was great. I did too. I thought it was really good. It's one of those things I think that will just sort of settle into the land. Yeah. It's not like a Dole Whip thing where you have to be crazy and have a cult around it. Right. It was different enough. It was. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. That was fast. the first thing we bought. Yeah. Move fast. I love the two machines that they keep the popcorn in, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the vaults that they keep them in. And I love the whole idea that it's a grain that that's yeah. grown. Like, such a great story. Ronto's Roasters is one of those areas where... Disney goes so far out of their way to tell a huge story for a hot dog stand. (laughs) And I was looking at it going, you know, because I always try to look at Disneyland in the next hundred years. And I go, this won't always be Ronto Roasters. Like It's a massive footprint, Mm -hmm. huge story. Once again, has its own audio animatronic that that is turning these exotic meats that are being warmed up by a uh, pod racer engine. Yep. And it sells two types of hot dogs. Yeah, yes, yes. It's insane. But what's funny is like, I knew nothing about the food going into this. So I'm reading this description and trying to get an idea of what this is. I'm like, okay, Ronto Roaster sounds good. And then you get it and you're like, oh, it's a hot dog. <laughs> it's, well, it's a hot dog on a pita because that's, that's what they do right. in space. With chicken or something. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I thought that it was the theming of it mm-hmm. was through the roof. Completely. The actual stand where you buy your food looked like a stand where you buy your food. But once again, giving them props, it's a hot dog stand, takes up enormous amount of space, Mm -hmm. has a clear pathway because you're going to have to go around Ronto's Roasters to get to the next part of the land. And they were very nice to put picnic tables outside on that little balcony there. So it's really a great value of, yeah, you could buy an $18 hot dog. But the space that you get to enjoy it in, it's not like it's a grab-and-go street dog in Toronto. Right. You know, right. like you can actually like, hey, we brought the kids out here. We don't have a ton of money. Let's get a couple hot dogs, cut them in half, eat on the table. Yeah. Amazing experience. Less than 50 bucks. Right. Hard to do with a family these right. days. And it's funny, too. You forget, and because of the situation of the reservation system, you could not leave the land and come back into the land. Right. So I think in that case, you felt like, well, this is our only food. But you, you do remember that there's plenty of other places to eat in the park once sure. this sort of settles into the overall thing. Ducking Bay 7. Okay. Food and cargo. Here we go. That is the best walk-up food I've ever had at a Disney park. Okay, so what did you have? So you had a big group. We had a big group. Everybody ate there? Uh, everybody ate there. Hammer bought lots of table items. Okay. <laughs> I think that was where the swipe was the hardest. Uh, I just There was dishes everywhere. And I go, who's, yeah. whose Cokes are these? And Hammer's like, oh, yeah, I got those too. Uh, I, what I ate. And I'm feeling a little queasy from, you know, right. the smuggler's run because sure, sure. I'm a smuggler. I got that rib yeah. over the slaw. Uh-huh. One of the best slaws I've ever had. And like a blueberry something. The, so it looks like Ray's biscuit that she makes. Right. <laughs> mm, Four credits. But it was two credits. Four credits. And then boom, biscuit. Right. Uh, that corn blueberry cornbread roll. Yeah. Amazing. It was. Great item. Uh, yeah. Great I item. I agree. The slaw I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. The rib was uh 
It was good. Nice sauce on it. It was cooked well for, you know, they're doing large portions. We split the shrimp noodle. Yeah. Thought that was really good. Did you get the fried? There was something. No, we got the glass noodles because of okay. Beth uh, being gluten free. Right, right, With right, right. Uh, her disease. So we got that. Um, she got the salad, yeah. which was really good. The only thing that I didn't like, and this is not against um, Galaxy's right. Edge, is I don't like aristocrat, aristocrat desserts. Oh, okay. I don't like puffy pastries. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, a yeah. white sheet cake type of guy. I'm a so chocolate chip simple, cookie. Yeah, straight ahead. I mean, uh, salt and straws as fancy as this old dog gets. Pretty fancy. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty fancy. But I don't like puff desserts and mm-hmm. like you know little. I don't like when there's like four items in a dessert. I'm like, get out of here. Yeah. You know, yeah, just yeah. give me the cake. It doesn't need to be a chocolate liqueur poured over a moon right. salt. Shaped no. in a yeah. Too much. I thought it was great and the vibe in there. Our party, we were sitting in like a storage container, mm-hmm. and I'm just looking around like, this is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, I think that Beth and I's food, two adults, two drinks. We bought three, uh, three meals. Yeah, three entrees. They were at like forty eight bucks with my yeah. annual pass card. I'm like, yeah, yeah, under yeah. fifty bucks for dinner. It's pretty in good. Disneyland, yeah. In Southern California. Right, right. So I thought that the food was really good. It seems that you had a different opinion. No, I wasn't. I think that rib thing is going to depend on what, like any ribs, it's going to depend on what you get. So right. mine wasn't fantastic. It didn't taste bad. It's just there was a lot of like fat. Fatting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. it just depends on the specific thing. But that's that's everywhere. Olga's Cantina. Are we going here right now? Are, are we? Did we skip? Well, I was going to skip one. Okay. For purpose. Okay. <laughs> for per- well, we're going to go back to it. We are. Okay. Right, let's just do it now. Great. Okay. So the, the milk stand. All right. Let's just get into here it. Here we go. Okay. Let's get into it. And you can hear an in-depth milk stand review on Hammer Time. Fantastic. Coming up at the end of this week where <laughs> each of us bought both flavors. Okay. Blue and green. And the cup that it comes in is depressing. Yeah. Very depressing. Surprising. Surprisingly, it's like you built this whole land, and then you said, uh, "Bobby Iggs goes, hey, uh, Jerome, can you take our 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 Disney card and go over to Sam's Club and get us some cups for the milk stand?" <laughs> it's like when you get water at a restaurant and they don't want you to have the normal cup. Yeah, so they because you're the clear you're cup. a second class citizen because you want water <laughs> and not sugar soda. And I always tell the the, the person at the at the restaurant, I'm like. No, no, no. I'm not poor. Right. I just want to drink water and not Coca-Cola. I don't exactly. drink soft drinks. Mm-hmm. And your tea is also a soft drink. Like, I don't do corn syrup. So right. I just want water. I'm not a third-class citizen. Why are you giving me the cup that they give to kids in Haiti when they send them relief funds? And what's surprising about this is that this is kind of a big Star Wars gimmicky thing, right? Yes. Like, it's not a it's not something they've created for this land. And, oh, it's blue. And isn't that interesting? Like, People know what this is. It's canon. Yeah. It's in the film. And going back to Docking Bay 7 for a minute, Mm -hmm. you're given your food on a metal, almost prison-style tray. Right. The silverware is amazing. Surprising. It's like flat metal. It's a spoon spork type vibe. spork. Yeah. It's so great. I'm sure everybody's going to steal them and they won't be there in three months. I think they've already pulled it, they said. Have they? So you can't just grab it. I've heard you had to ask for it now. Oh, wow. They were just laying them out when we went there. Fantastic. I mean, I know everybody's stealing them. But the milk stand, I, I thought that 
the milk that they would have up in the, the so, ceiling. Right, 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 right. I thought that that was going to be a little bit more experiential where we'd see it dripping through tubes. Even and f- if it's false. Yeah. That just oh, that, yeah I mean, I don't want milk that's been sitting in the sun Exactly, all day. exactly. But I thought that there would be a narrative there of that the milk was draining and going from canister to canister. And, you know, the, the land itself pays a lot of attention to irrigation and water sources and plumbing and piping. And there's, there's surprises in all of those. And those are the things I won't talk about today, but that part of it, I was a little bit let down on. So the guys, I, I told the, the cashier, I said, I would like two milks, one of each. Do you want to do this? Do you want to save it for your show? No, no, no. Send no, people no, over no, there? No, no, okay, no, no, no. Okay. I mean, with those two? Yeah. Like, Different show. Oh, bro. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, 18 credits. Yeah. So I get them. And the blue milk, drinkable. Sweet. Didn't love it. Right. But I'm saying drinkable as the best compliment that I can give a beverage. Right. Drinkable. Okay. Best compliment I can give it. Very good. Green milk. Yes. Not drinkable. No. In fact, I gave mine. I saw this. To a droid that what we call in America looks like a trash can. <laughs> Quickly. This happened. It seemed like that happened in a matter of quick. I was like, no, no. one was. I saw them mix it. Yeah. Uh, they, we even, they, they mixed the two together, yeah. which was a little discerning that they don't mix they lay on top of each other yeah yeah, like all the best artificial foods do the green was like um soapy or something to me like it was a floral (laughs) we were doing an instagram live chair just goes it tastes like fancy soap yeah yeah yeah, that's right (laughs) at least you got fancy in there that's right It, it is it is fancy so yeah i would agree i think i had the same experience that you guys did and we kind of passed it around so we didn't have to buy four of them or something like that but i i would say this what were you expecting for blue? And now maybe if they like spike these, mm-hmm. would, would I mean, for, for a general audience, do you think that would sort of help this? I, I don't know that this is going to be the hit they're hoping for. So uh, Kings Island in Ohio. Okay. <laughs> Kings Island in Ohio did a licensing deal with Hanna-Barbera. Mm-hmm. And to be like Disneyland, they would be able to have the rights of all the Hanna-Barbera characters. Sure. So they had a Scooby-Doo roller coaster. Yeah. They had all these meet and greets. And they had a delicious blue ice cream next to their one dark ride, which was a Smurf Village dark ride. Oh, okay. This ice cream was outrageously good. Like a Smurfberry ice cream or yeah. something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still know that theme song for that cereal. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Smurfberry cereals, fun to eat. <laughs> a healthy <laughs> breakfast treat. Not healthy. Yeah. Uh, but... I was expecting that, and that's just my own, like, I'm a dum-dum. Right. I've had a blue thing at an amusement park when I was eight. It's going to taste the same. that same kind of surprising, nondescript... It, it just... It had little to no flavor to it. Yeah. The blue one. Right. It wasn't really milk. It wasn't really smoothie. It wasn't really milkshake. It wasn't really acai bowl. It was right. just kind of a weird concoction. And then the green was like... Way too plant-based or yeah. way too something. Like a cactus or something. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm in the desert and this might make me live one more day, but I'd rather die than drink this. Here's where my prediction lies. Mm. The land is pretty close to flawless. Mm-hmm. The milk stand, summer of 2020, it will either be selling different products or those two products will be re-engineered because Everybody's going to buy them once 
to see what it's like. Or to Instagram or to, to Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're not going back to it. It's not a Dole Whip. I have never had this, but it's not a butter beer. It is not the signature thing that they wanted it to be. Right. And whoever they paid head chef to consult to make that, they should give them their money back because <laughs> it was a crime, <laughs> crime against Star Wars humanity. It is interesting in that it doesn't, I can't taste it and say like, oh, this tastes like an icy. You know, like, yeah. so from that perspective, I think they succeeded. It does taste otherworld. It's a different taste. It's not something you expected. So they surprised you. But I think with things like food, it's not like this is some kind of rotating thing where it's like next week is red milk. So try right. blue milk while it's here. Red milk. It's getting um, worse. Yeah. Unless yeah. it was that strawberry quick or whatever it was. So oh. like, do you think, do you think, uh, this is where I go back and forth. Put it in a collector's cup. Which is the money grab that people love and hate, right? Like if it came in a wood cup, that's what I which mean. Which it should. Yeah, I would buy it again. Yeah, so Throw that's what it I right mean. in the garbage can. But, take my wood cup home. Put change in it. <laughs> is that cynical? Because you can see the same people would be like, "Oh, they're just making you buy that." Well, that's cup. the only way they're going to get you to buy it again. Yeah. is if they change the experience. Something, or they put up a sign under new space management, new new blend or whatever. Because, I mean, I just can't even believe they let that go through testing and go out on the market. Yeah. It's right, bad. Right. Like I look at those Coke bottles and we probably talked about this a little bit. It's Coke, but it's yeah. in a ball and now you want that Coke. Okay. So they let our group in, right? Yeah. There's a few hundred people and we're like walking in and it's like a pilgrimage. Right. We're in Star Wars right. land. We're in Star Wars land. The very first thing we saw like 10 minutes in, there's a Coke stand right yep. there. Hammer just goes hard to the left and bought a Diet Coke. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, That's he, right. He had to spend money at the first thing that he saw. And he was excited. He was carrying it. It was fun. We got to the milk stand. We bought it. And it was horrible. And, and everybody who's listening, I strongly encourage you to buy it. Yeah. Because it is the most bizarre 17 mm -hmm. credits you'll ever spend. Because you'll just be like, how did this go through? You know when you watch a really bad movie? Yeah. And you say... There's probably 500 people that worked on that movie. Right, 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 right. None of them want to go up. I think this is turd. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how did that milk get out? It, it's it's mind-boggling to me. It is. It's interesting. I mean, we are having a long conversation about it because of that. Maybe that's the win. I don't know. We'll see. I don't think that that's the win. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, Ogus Cantina. Yeah, okay. My experience was this. There was a massively long line. Yes. And I had lots of people saying, hey, I'm not going to give you spoilers, but I'm going to give you tips. And mm. I want to thank everybody who knows how much I love this that wrote in to tell me. One of the listeners, I don't have the, the name in front of you, but man, the dude from uh, Oklahoma, you, my friend, are a saint because mm. he gave us the pro tip on where to be to watch the fireworks. Ah. And I mean, the guy really walked me through all of the details without any spoilers. But the one conflicting information I kept getting was the cantina. Huh. And I think each day they were kind of changing. Yeah. So when my friend Louie, the architect, went there, who yeah. has a room named after him in Club 33, celeb friend. Right. He said, hey, the line's long, but they now do a virtual queue. You yes. can get put on the virtual queue. Well, I guess the word got out on the virtual queue because by the time I went over, they're like, the line's done. The virtual queue's done. No one else from your party is getting in there. Huh. So then I asked another cast member because, you know, it's like going to the bank. Of course. You get a different person, you get a different answer. But old hipster solo got the same answer from another person. So someone in our party, 
might happen to be above average on the attraction level. There you go. Always good. So I said, uh, hey, Carl, why don't you go ask one of those guys over there if, how to get into the cantina because fat me <laughs> beat up Ricky's getting nowhere. And so Carl, with all of her spirits and energy, yeah. goes over there and she comes back and goes, well, they're maxed out. Yeah. But it's going to be nice enough to take two of us in at a time to see it. Oh. So there was a really nice cast member who took Hammer and Carl in, took then Beth and I in, and then took uh, DK and Tavo in. So we each got to go in. We walked into the door and just went right up to the right. We got to see the bar. We got to see DJ Rex. We got to see everybody there you go. and just got to see it. That's, and I, and I, I told the guy, I'm like, you know what, man? I appreciate this so much because I just wanted to see it. That's right. You're not a drinker. Not a drinker. Yeah. I would in there. I mean, I don't, I'm almost straight edge on this planet, but I, <laughs> I'm going to get ripped in the galaxy's <laughs> edge. But um, at least we got to see it. Yes. But you've actually been able to partake in the spirits. I did. I did. Yeah. This is my favorite part of the thing. This is the most Star Warsy part of the thing in it. People say this is the big win. Yeah. They could have made this thing three times as big and it would still be just as crowded. Now, I think there's all kinds of philosophy behind that, I'm sure. Like, right. you don't want all these drunk people sure. going through this and having the park filled with it. I get that. It keeps it special, sort of like a Trader Sam situation. Um, but just amazing. Uh, some of the best storytelling. The, the Rex is a great nod to Disneyland and not just Star Wars. Uh, the drinks were fine. Very expensive, as you'd expect. A lot of sort of souvenir things that you can do. But the atmosphere... I think is right. I think there was a missed opportunity to put that cantina band or some form of that band in there. Yeah. Or one amazing animatronic other than Rex. The Rex. Now, granted, I didn't stay in there. Right. You've been how many times now? We went in there twice. We so didn't you, do it the first time. Two right? out of three visits. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was expecting Rex to be more animated mm-hmm. and to do more. And I was expecting a, a wider variety of music. Yeah. And I do agree with you. There should maybe be a booth or two that are always consumed with yes. like eight characters or something. six characters. Or a or bartender two... yeah. or something. Something, yeah. But people really, really seem to love it. And one of the most amazing things that they do is they have outdoor speakers that are purposefully yes. muffled that and beat and beat and give the sound that there's a party happening on the inside. Yes. That that move is great. And you didn't even realize that there's a sign out front that says Cantina right. until right. it lights up at night. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's amazing. Yeah, no, fascinating. I So I didn't do it the first time. We, we, we sort of hovered around. We did the classic mistake. I don't know if your guy told you this. Of we went right to the ride. And everyone said, don't go right to the ride. Disney said, don't go right to the ride. Just give it a chance. But we went right to the ride and had a 50-minute wait, and we thought that was great. Um, but then by the time we came out, that cantina thing was like an hour wait. And at this point, they weren't taking the reservations. You had to just stand in the line and hope you got in. Um, so we just said, we're going to skip it. And we're going to do everything else instead of stand here for the next three hours. We came back the next time, and it was um, the virtual queue. And that made it so that we can come right back. And, and they were actually very understanding. We were stuck in the lightsaber thing. Yeah. And we said, we're stuck here. We can't come back to the to our time. They said, just Whenever you're ready, come back. That's great. Yeah. So it was, it was really nice. Um, but yeah, so we did finally get in and then I was just, I want to be in there all the time now. It looked really, really great. I, I look forward to the first time that I actually get to do a hang session yeah. there and, and enjoy it for what it is and um, kind of just be immersed in that world where you literally can't see out because you're in that building. Yeah. But I, I 
wrapping up the the first part of today's episode, you know, we've gone over every little bit of it. And in part two, we're going to talk about sort of the design and the broad strokes of the design. And, mm-hmm. you know, just to give it a, a, a good review, a couple things that are slightly critical of. Sure. But, I mean, you know, you're, you're never going to get 100% on anything, but it's pretty damn close. Just all of these things we talked about today, I'm so excited to have been able to enjoy them, yeah. to, to know that I'll get to do it again and again. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about being a true believer in Disneyland and loving it like we do is that, you know, when my friend Sean comes over from the UK, mm-hmm. I'll get to do all this with him ag- yeah, again. Exactly. And I'll get to do this with my family when they come out here and nieces and nephews. You know, like when I take my nephew to this, yeah. it's going to be an amazing experience. And, and I always just love experiencing Disney with others and getting to experience it with five other people that I really love and care about. And they're my best friends that, that we've met out here. And, and with my wife, of course, it was just like, it was such an amazing Disney trip. The land is so immersive and so different than anything else. Mm-hmm. That when I think on the memories of it, I really feel like we went someplace on a trip together, mm-hmm. not to Disneyland, not to Anaheim, not to California. But when I think about when Beth and I went to Paris or when I walk through the streets of London and taking trains through Europe, there's a vibe that comes to something that's yeah. that far away. This has that vibe. And I'm not For overselling sure. it. It's how it's written in my memory. It's it's how it feels in my heart. It feels like we went someplace. It looks different there. Mm-hmm. It feels different there. It is a different sort of place that gives you different kinds of memories. I think you feel that the most, and for me it was, it was an almost an emotional experience to leave the area, to come back out into something so that you know so well, and and to feel like you were so far away. I know. I I think that that's one of the most amazing things that they've been able to sort of accomplish with that. That just on the other side of this rock work is is whatever that the thing that you know so well. Um, so when we came back out, we came out through that hungry bear area. And it was just a, a strange, like a portal. It's a come it down. A strange it's a yeah. come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And, and I looked over at, I don't know who I was with in my group, but I said, this is going to be the first time in my life <laughs> that I ever slightly dread walking through Disneyland. That's right. And as I walked out, I was like, uh, what if this ruins that? Right. All right. And I mean, I'm lost without that. And. I'm still wearing the wristband today. Mm-hmm. I'm still holding on to the memories and hoping that it's just a red group and I just slide right in there tonight when yeah. we go to the park. But when you're standing there looking at the Millennium Falcon, is there any part of your brain that says, my car's parked right on the other side right. of that? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you don't even get a what sense a magic of trick. any other part of the park. Even no. when you see, you can see a Thunder Mountain Spire. It matches. You can't tell it. Yeah. It matches. All right, we're going to get into part two where we look at the design of the park and talk more about it in design theory. Hopefully you had a good time listening to part one. I hope you guys get to go out and experience it. Just want to kind of give you a guide to the good times we have and the feelings that, that it gave us. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month or we'll be back in two seconds if you're a member of the Circle of Trust. <laughs>